Hey, if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to three different places, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and Hebrews chapter 10. And I only, not only do I want to say welcome to all of you, I want to welcome everybody that's tuning in online, wherever you may be, here in the city, up in Labrador, or indeed across Newfoundland, Canada, or indeed around the world. Brother Paul uh, mentioned this, and so I do want to give you a, a bit of a disclaimer. This will not be your typical sermon. It's going to be an overview. I'll be looking at these three passages of Scripture to set something up, and I'll explain it in just a minute, but hopefully you'll come along. And so the idea here is, what does a post-COVID healthy church look like? And if you're thinking about it, We've had quite a ride the last couple of years, haven't we? It's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of unknowns, a lot of changes. You start all the way back to March of 2020 and think about where we are now. I wonder how many of you ever thought that's what it was going to be like when you were in Snowmageddon of January of 2020. But I think that most of us here, if not all of us, and I hope all of us would, especially if you claim to know Christ, that we can confidently say God has blessed us, He's provided and protected for us, and in His sovereign will and grace, over the last 28 months or so, He's even glorified Himself through Calvary Baptist Church. But I would even say God has glorified Himself through this church since 1993 and all of her ministries. But here we are, almost halfway through 2022. Now, let me say that again. We are almost halfway through 2022. Can you believe that? The second half of this year looms over us and before us, and yet the truth is, especially because of the last couple of months, I would say many of you, if not all of you, are right now or have in the last number of weeks or months, we're mourning. Aren't we? Are we not tired, both in Canada and the United States, of hearing about mass shootings? Nineteen children. Do we not wound and feel the burden of the war in Ukraine? I got my hair cut this last week and got the glorious privilege to meet the new Ukrainian barber that was hired down at Fogtown that has been in the news and had a lovely chat with him and his Polish wife. For me personally, I can't lie to you, I have been felt the mourning and the weight of the confusion in Russia, as we hear very little about what's happening there, but I have many, many pastor friends and churches that I love and adore that I had the privilege and honor of visiting, and now radio silence, and I wonder, how are they all doing? I don't know if you've been watching, but there's been a lot in the news of late about the fear in North Korea. And how COVID now is ravaging that country. And trust me when I tell you, friends, that government is not kind in how they treat their people as they try to deal with something. And then there's just the everyday anxiety around the world. So we're mourning, aren't we? And yet, are we also not cautious? Inflation and political extremism are everywhere. And we feel it right here at our church and in our lives where a gallon of gas is now $9. $9. It was only back in November that I was in a church in Atlanta and they were shocked when I told them that we were paying $6 a gallon. And from November to now, it's $9. And yet, for all of this, are we not also hopeful and expectant? Our church is growing. We see marriages that are happening. Many of the ladies were at a baby, uh, sorry, a wedding shower, not a baby shower for Jasmine, a wedding shower. But just this past week, Martin and Micah welcomed another little beautiful baby into their family. We have more little babies to come. We've had a baby dedication not that long ago, and we've seen all this. And for to be honest, we, we've come through COVID well up to this point, I think. We've not had many any major issues, and God has provided for us. And take a moment, by the way, to just look around and think about where you're sitting right now. 
the chairs you're in, the building you are in. Could any of us have anticipated this is where we would be doing Sunday service even six months ago? Churches are being planted, as Brother Paul just prayed. God is allowing folks from all around the world to not only pray for us, but partner with us and even come to join us. And even as we weigh out the cautions and the concerns and the cares with the blessings and the beauty of life, I don't know about you, but as we've hit May and almost halfway through another year, I do kind of wonder, what does the future hold? What does the future hold for us, me, my family, my church family, Mile One Mission, Newfoundland and Labrador? Where do we go as Christians? And yet, let me ask us this. Should we even be calling ourselves Christians? I mean, after all, it was the world that put that label on us all the way back in Acts chapter 13. Christians never called themselves that. The world did. It was actually a name that they labeled us with. But fundamentally, this morning, as we kick off a new summer series, in a world of social media and stereotyping and extremism and fear, where hypocrisy and duplicity are rampant, with lumping large groups of people together, depending on what you tweeted or you posted, how? How are we going to live and respond and display Jesus in a post-COVID world? Back at the end of April, at the beginning of this month, when we hosted our first little conference and we were able to do it here, a friend of our ministry, Matthew Spenner Davidson, who oversees 20 schemes, in one of the plenary sessions made this radical statement. Church planting is not part of the Great Commission. It is the Great Commission. Let me say that again. He said, church planting is not part of the Great Commission. It is the Great Commission. And he backed it up by referring to the book of Acts, which many of you have been reading through all this month of May. His point being that to obey the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28 or Luke 24, when Jesus told his disciples that they would be witnesses in Acts 1.8, the disciples, along with that group of 120 that gathered in that upper room, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, this is how they enacted or obeyed the Great Commission. They testified. They literally talked to anybody and everybody, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Then they preached the gospel. They, they explained it to everyone. And then they loved each other and the world. So they testified, they preached, they loved. And then those who responded to this testimony and preaching and love were immediately gathered into churches to be disciplined and taught. And then they were commissioned to start it all over again. And this is what we're going to focus on all summer. All summer long, we're going to focus on what is a healthy church post-COVID. For June and July and August, we're going to think, myself and Brother Steve, along with other guys from All One Mission, as we preach all summer, uh, meditate and ponder and explore the New Testament, the Bible, which is God's Word, what it says about the church. How should the church worship? How does the church act? How should the church have its priorities? How should the church function as a group of people who all claim to be, are you ready for this now? Christ followers. If you're taking notes, write that down because you'll notice I didn't say Christians. I actually think we might hit this time in 2022 where we've got to drop the name. Because what does Christian even mean anymore? Maybe we've got to go back to all the thing that says, we claim to be followers of Christ, like that old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. So as we anticipate our first church retreat next weekend, by the way, the first one in three years, as we think and pray about all of the things that we're doing, including this land and all the church furniture that you're all sitting on and surrounds us, when we consider how far God has brought us, in spite of the fact that this year, 2022, has been challenging to us financially, I want to remind us that as a ministry, we are debt-free. Amen? Amen? We own a piece of lovely land, lock, stock, and barrel. We own it. We've seen growth in our church. Mile One Mission has not only been birthed, but it's actually flourishing. But have you ever asked yourself, so what's next? Where do we go from here? What is our purpose? What are our goals? What does God want or expect from us? 
And it's of interest to me that in spite of the fact that we have these wars and rumors of wars and we've had COVID and now there's what, monkeypox is now in the news? And what comes next? Who knows? And with all the wars and all the things, is it any wonder that all of a sudden, every time I turn the television on, every time I look on Facebook, every time I go to Twitter, another pastor, another church is preaching through the book of Revelation. It's like the cool thing to do now. And it dismays me, not because I don't want us to preach through the book of Revelation. I love the book. I preached through it once before, and I'll do it again here one day, Lord willing. But I find that too many people preach the book of Revelation to either scare themselves or scare the world, and very few ever actually focus on chapters 2 and 3. Everybody loves Revelation chapter 1, and everybody loves Revelation chapter 4 to 22. But few actually dig into chapters 2 and 3, which is those letters to those seven churches. But I don't know about you, but I'm going to ask us, What if Calvary was included in that list of seven? What if it was to the church of Ephesus, to the church at Thyatira, to the church in St. John's named Calvary? What would God say to us? What would our strengths be? Because that's the pattern of each letter. What would our weaknesses be? What would God say? God say, not Steve or the elders or you or me. God say we would have to change. Beloved, and I use that word deliberately, these are questions that I have prayed about and read about and talked about and cried about and called out to God himself about over the last weeks and months. But I do want you to know that I think God has blessed this church and we are good at some stuff. I think God is and has worked in many hearts in this church over her history. From the very beginning of this church, it can be said that Calvary loves God's Word. We read it and preach it. We do small groups around it. We memorize it. We stand upon it. We believe it's all God's Word, not some of it. We believe literally everything about this church has been built on the Bible. And just this week, to prove my point, I had a conversation with someone who asked me what I did. And when I told them, they knew of the church. And they said to me, when I think of Calvary, I think Bible people. And I thought that was a compliment. I also think Calvary Baptist, presently and in our history, has loved children and families. I believe our nursery is great. Our children's church is awesome. And our Sunday school teachers are fantastic. I believe we've done great things with kids as well, whether it was the truth, the truth Project or Desiring God, which is now Truth 78, the Pray For Me campaign, whether it's been the 20 years of investment that Jennifer Winger has put into the lives of so many, or the oversight of Jeff, one of our elders who's now overseeing this, even as we've seen the passing of the baton to Aaron, the oversight of Christy and countless others. We've seen the enthusiastic love of Russ and Lori Smith. We love kids at this church, and we want to invest in families. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. We're not. But if Jesus was writing a letter to Calvary, I think he would say, Calvary, I know your works, and you love children and family. And I believe that also in this church, we have a growing group of young adults We had a visiting pastor here last week in Lanny Lowe, and one of the first things he said to me after was how young this church was. He couldn't believe it. And I love you as young adults. I have to tell you, you make me young, and I could not be more proud of you. You love each other, and you seem to know each other and keep in touch with each other, and you want to be together. And I want to compliment David and Adam who have worked at providing ways along with others to study the Bible and fellowship. I also believe that Calvary, we are a busy church. We've had all kinds of things happening here in our church lives, and we do it for all ages. We sing, we eat, we gather, we do programs, and I think we do them well. We've worked hard to be unified in terms of COVID. I believe we've had a a, a unified vision of money. We've had a great goal to increase our missions, and we have. We've increased our benevolence giving both within the church and out in our community. And except for this year, for the most part, we have seen our givings consistently rise. Praise the Lord. That's a great place to go. Amen. Now, y'all need to wake up. All right. New members, baptisms, marriages, baby dedications have all been normal occurrences at this church. 
And there is no doubt that God has and is working in us and through us. And I've not even tried to mention the saints who make up committees that include everything from missions to trustees, ushers, fellowship committees, and countless others. God would without a doubt say, Calvary, I know your works. You've been busy for me. And I'm very honored and proud to be a part of this church. I love God. And I love the people of this church. And I have counted every day that I have lived here with my family through all the ups and downs of life as a blessing from God to be with you all. But I do want to ask you for just a second to honestly say, or at least ponder, what would God point out that is deficient in our church? What would he criticize? What would he say, Calvary, this needs to change? Over seven and a half years ago when I was getting ready to move here, a mentor of mine, a pastor I look up to, a guy named Dr. Ray Pritchard, him and I were talking and I was telling him how I was leaving Grace Baptist Church in PEI and moving here to Calvary here in St. John's and He said this to me. He said, Steve, you're moving to St. John's, and I want you to think about this, and I want you to think about it often. As you move there, if you were moving to St. John's and you didn't know anything about Calvary, but you were moving to the city and you wanted to join a church, what would you look for in that church? And that question has haunted me every day I've been here. I've titled the sermon, What is a Post-COVID Healthy Church? But maybe we should ask this, what is the church? What does the Bible say about church? Are we doing it? Have we strayed off the course even just a little bit? I've told you, I've asked myself these questions many, many times. And I believe others right here have as well. And I keep wondering, and I want us to wonder as well, if we were one of these seven churches, what would God say to us? See, the problem is, for all we do, what are we missing? As we enter this new phase of life, with COVID maybe in the rearview mirror and monkeypox right in front of us, with flu season only months away, what's waiting for us? With inflation and cultural shift, with wars and uncertainty, with mental illness and anxiety everywhere, with individualism and hyper-expressionism all around us, one thing that COVID has done, which I think is a shame, has made so many so-called Christians believe church is not just an uber-personal thing, but now an optional thing. We talk a good game, don't we? We can quote the Bible and we can say have peace and we can offer answers to life. But here's the inconsistency. We say we value life and then demand our way of life even if it means others suffer. We talk about morality and fidelity, especially in marriage and relationships, and yet we fail in both. Our leaders, often of religious institutions, demand change and perfection, all the while only to be found out to be duplicitous and hypocritical. We claim to be broken and redeemed people, but we act like perfect people. And we just tell broken people to become perfect like us, rather than come and be redeemed by Jesus. And is that us? Do we honestly care for the lost? Not because we are better, but because we are them. Does the third verse of amazing grace mean anything to us at all? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amen? Well, if you're going to say amen to that verse, you've got to own the first verse. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When was the last time you looked in the mirror and you said, Lord, I am wretched and you love me? Are we using words like humility and graciousness, forgiveness and mercy? Only in reality that we are found to be proud and graceless and bitter and unforgiving and unmerciful? 
Is patience and trust truly prevailing amongst us? Or are we not only weary in well-doing, we're just weary in life? To think of church only in terms of my felt needs is sin. And to think of others who are not in the church, who have left the church, only as in, well, if you want to leave, we don't want you and we don't need you, is equally sinful. That is not church. So as we think about this summer series, what is a post-COVID healthy church? What is a healthy church? Please allow me, but not only allow me, join me for the journey. Let God speak to us and then work through us. Let us long to be a church of Christ, made up of Christ followers. Men and women of all ages and all cultures and all economic standings where we are all equal, one, at the foot of the cross, where our songs and our worship is the beginning of our week, not the end of it. In Calvary, I stand before you to say this, I believe that God loves Newfoundland and Labrador. And I believe He's got a plan and a purpose and a mission for us and our beautiful city. But we need to actually be the church and know what that is. Because let me tell you, the reason I'm up here doing this and taking some risks and chances is I don't think St. John's needs more religion. It's got enough. And I don't believe St. John's needs more cheap heaven real estate. Where you say a prayer, you walk an island, and that's good, you're in. And I, even worse, I don't think St. John's needs more fake fire insurance from hell. God forbid it be said of us, they are religious but fake. God forbid that be said of us. So very quickly, three principles through three passages of Scripture. What is the church? Number one, the church is created by God. You didn't make it up. I didn't create it. This church wasn't started by people. It was planted by God. The church is created by God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 12. This is the word of God. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. You could argue that the Corinthian church was the richest, most gifted, most amazing church of the entire New Testament era. And Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And then he gets rhetorical and he wants you to think through a dysfunctional church. For if the body, by using the example of a human being, does not consist of one member but of many, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, then I don't belong to the body. That would, make, would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. He comes it up and he sums it up in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So if that's true, this is what can't happen. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, you Calvary, you downtown, you Kilbride, you Northern Cross, you, every church is the body of Christ individually. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second 
prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. And now he asks the obvious. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is obviously no, 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 no. And then he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. Paul writes to this church at Corinth and is writing to correct sinful behavior and answer questions that this sinful church has asked him to expound upon. But I want you to know a couple of things. Corinth is a local church. And the sin in this local church is bad. And yet, Paul calls them saints. Back in chapter 1, he would say this, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints or holy with all those everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would go on from there to actually expose their sins of pride and lust and division, infighting, lording riches over the poor, sexual impurity. And then in answering the question starting in verse 7 about sorry in chapter 7 about marriage, he leads his way to another question about church and spiritual gifts and what is important. And that's what we've just read. But the key verse is actually verse 18. But as it pleased, as it is, God placed the parts each one of them in the body as he chose, as he intended. God is the one who puts the church together. We don't get to make it. We don't get to choose. Then in verse 25 he comes out, there are, that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may have the same concern for one another. So this issue is not that a church won't sin or can't sin. It's what we do about it that makes us different. That's the difference between religion and being a Christ follower. Every one of you, and I love every one of you, but you're all sinners. And you have and will sin this past week, today, and this coming week. The difference between being religious and a Christ follower is you don't deny your sin, you don't hide it, you don't make excuses for it, you own it, you confess it, you repent of it, you bring it to Jesus moment by moment and every day, and you say, oh God and family, help me. That's a church. That's what makes us different. That's why verse 28 comes back, some people God has designated. It is God, of God, that we are here together. God wants to express the gospel for him to the city of St. John's because you're here. But now at least see that the body of God is created. You and I are not here by accident. We have not been put together here, but we have been God-ordained here. We have a purpose, and and now I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4, because at the end of this passage, he says, desire the better gifts, and I want to show you a better way. So, the church is created by God. That's the number one principle you need to realize. The church is created by God. But secondly, the body of Christ, the church, is made up of saved people who love each other. What is a church? A church is a group of saved people who love God and love each other. We're growing and developing. In Ephesians chapter 4, I think Ephesians might be one of the greatest letters in the Bible. It's so evenly done, three chapters of theology and gospel unity, and then three chapters of application of theology and the application of the gospel. And so when you come to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is now going to turn the corner between theology and say, now this is what it looks like in real life. So look at it, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul was reminding this church again that he's writing from prison. And he says, I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now notice how you do that. Especially in 2022. When young people listen to this, 
when you think of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and how we talk to each other, because according to Paul, the evidence of walking worthy of your calling is, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness. And most of you here would say, yeah, I'm with you, Steve, but what about with patience? Hmm. What about with patience when we rub each other the wrong way or we don't see eye to eye or someone doesn't seem to get it like you think you get it? And then notice this, bearing with one another in love. And you know what? If you and I walk in this attitude of humility and gentleness and patience and wanting to bear with one another in love, ipso facto, verse 3 is what happens, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice there is no individual in him. There is one body, one spirit, as just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And here's why you can say this, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us. This is the problem. We sing about amazing grace, but we don't believe we've received amazing grace. Because if we actually believed it every day, we would extend it to others. I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call that you have been called. Now stop for a second. Calvary, are you walking worthy of your salvation? If you would say, Pastor Steve, I am, then are you praising God for the power to do it? If you're not doing it, are you busy in God's word and prayer seeking for God's power saying, oh God, change me? And I think many of you might be, well, I want to, but I'm struggling to do it. Well, then are you being honest about that? And are we all working together in that struggle? Paul would go on to say that he's given all of these things to us and he's given again to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And basically, Paul is saying, Christians of Asia, if you are truly saved, then not only should you act like it, you should show the effects of it. And what is the effect of it? You grow up. You mature. There is humility and gentleness and patience. Again, look at verse 13. Until we all attain to what? The unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. And the landing point is verse 16. When he says that the whole body, again, there's body example and it's like ligaments and all these things, but he says, grows and builds itself up in love. Now, I'm going to say this, and Calvary, I can run faster scared than any of you mad. I think that God would compliment us for being a church that has been historically and presently built on the Bible. But if all you can do is quote the Bible and wave the Bible, but you don't love each other out of the Bible then it's for nothing. And this is like the world's most idiotic hobby. Fundamentally, the church, this church, is to be a group of truly saved Christ followers. We're supposed to be people who display love and mercy and grace. That love and mercy of grace from Jesus for the glory of God. And when we do that, the world and even unseen spiritual power see it. In John chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples, remember? A new commandment I give you that you love one another. And here's the result. By this, as you love one another, all men will know that you are my disciples. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul goes even further and says, when a group of Christ followers love each other, even demonic forces actually go, leave them alone. I got a call this week from a pastor who was tired and weary and thinking about quitting the ministry, and he wondered if it was worth it, and his wife was discouraged and depressed. And one of the things he said was, we don't feel loved. And he was feeling like they were being oppressed, attacked. When you feel 
depression and anxiety and when you feel insecure and when you feel the betrayal of your own heart and mind, when you feel the effects of a world and you're scared, can you not say you feel attacked and you wonder if you can find light at any tunnel? But what would it be like if you knew I can go to my Christian family both on Sunday or on social media or in phone calls or texts or visits or somewhere and I know I'll be loved and prayed for and cared for and people will be patient and gentle and humble with me. But what happens too often in our churches? We're impatient. We're bitter. We play comparative righteousness. We point out all of our flaws. We get angry. The church is to be God's vehicle for displaying His glory. And that's what this whole passage is about. So when we, you and me, us, when we display the gospel, when we have baptisms and we do the Lord's table and we're in our communities and we're giving, when we're sharing our lives with each other and we're actually ordering our priorities around forgiveness and patience, we not only truly love God and we love each other, but then we love people and we do this in loving sacrifice and service. So the church which God created and Jesus died for, preaches the gospel, and then we live it out and we show it in our corporate gatherings. Love that is displayed and not defined. And it's messy. And it's going to take time, which is why we need patience. So the church that He created must be a church that grows and matures. And then finally... The church is made up of people who are right with God and right with each other. And go very quickly with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Just four verses. Hebrews chapter 10. Three led us's. There you go. There's some good grammar. Are you ready? Verse 22. The preacher says, let us draw near. If you write in your Bible, underline that. Let us draw near. How? With a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Number one. Number two, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Number three, verse 24. Let us Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day appearing. So in Hebrews chapter 10, there are four commands. Three of them are positive, one of them is negative. But let me ask you something right now. In your heart and mind, when you hear that these are commands... What do you think commands mean in the, in the Bible? See, I think too many of us are Christians treat commands in the Bible the way I'm guilty of treating stop signs at many road stops. They're like suggestions. I got accused of that with a guy from the States one day. We were driving back from a funeral, and I was just driving along happy as a lark, and then out of the clear blue, this guy named Daryl looks over at me and goes, Stephen, I've discovered something about you. Stop signs are really suggestions in your life because you never come to a complete stop. And if I'm going to practice what I preach, all too often in my 25 years as a Christian, as a Christ follower, I am tempted and have all too often treated the commands of God like suggestions. God says we are to be right with Him and each other. We've been trying to answer the question, what is the church? And thus far we know it's God created, it's made up of people who are truly saved and growing, but the church is made up of people who are right with God and right with each other. Isn't it? Shouldn't it? Mustn't it? Our church, Calvary, we do many things well in the past and right here, right now. 
But as a church who understands that God is our creator, Jesus is our Savior and Lord, and that everyone who is a member of this church is not only saved, but growing and understanding the gospel more and more each and every day, and that every member is falling more in love with Jesus and more and more in love with every other member. Could we say that? And if not, what or how do we treat and talk and pray for those and ourselves? How are we living out and displaying the truths of the gospel? And even more so when we struggle than when we succeed. If you read those seven letters, God calls all seven churches to trust Him in the midst of their failure or success. And yet, more of them were failing than succeeding. And so what are the commands? Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. One pastor says, utter confidence in the promises of God is intended by this command. And the confidence will result in our heartfelt assurance or security, which will allow us to preserve or persevere through coming trials. So the church, us, we are a group of people put here by God as a group of individuals who, by the way, need each other. And as individuals and a group, we draw near to God for constant assurance that what God started, He'll finish. And He does it through us. I live this out every day with Steve and Jennifer. Steve and Jennifer and I, it seems like we take turns being high or low. On any given day of the week, Jen and Steve can come to work and come talk to me, and I just want to quit. I'm doing the woe is me thing. I got the Eeyore syndrome. I got the poochy lip disease. I got it. Everything about life is bad and horrible. Pastors are martyrs. You know, God doesn't love me. And inevitably, those two people have to come in and go, I love you. Slap, slap. Give your head a shake. You know that's not true. And then it would seem like the next day, I come in, me and Steve, and Jen is somewhere hid away in her office, and I open the door. I just want to quit. I just hate women. <laughs> right? And I go get Steve, and we go down, and we tag term and say, God loves you, and we love you, and the women love you. Slap, slap, give your head a shake. Come on. And then inevitably, Steve comes in, shuts the door, which is very normal for Steve. Steve, if you're watching, that's true. And we go in there, and he is Mr. Snuffleupagus. I mean, he is full on, I hate the world. But I love the fact that I've got a brother and a sister who every day come to work, and we care about each other. And that should be normal for every single one of you. It's not, don't hear this sermon and hear me calling us to perfection. It's the exact opposite of that. I am calling us to own our weakness and draw near to God. Because the second one is hold fast. And for the Greek scholars out there like David and Curtis and Matthew... The Greek word for let us hold fast means hold fast. Yeah, you can laugh at that because that's what I think of our Greek scholars. <laughs> Holding on. It's the perseverance of the saints. It's the human side of eternal security. It's something that we do not to maintain our salvation. It's what we do because we have it. Have you ever watched in any sport? We're watching hockey right now in the Stanley Cup and when that team finally wins the Stanley Cup and they're given it, watch every person that it's given to. They hang on to it and they never want to let it go because they have it now. It's theirs. And too many of us act like our salvation is like some plaque that we stick away and we put it in a box and hopefully maybe in a few decades we'll dig it out and go, you remember that? I remember the old-fashioned testimony times and Brandon's here, and Brandon said it to me one day because we had this dear old saint who would say, you know, in 1972, God saved me, and it was Brandon who once said to me driving home, Dad, I love Mr. Well, I can say it about him now because Edwin is with the Lord, and he'd say, I know Mr. Crossman got saved in 1972, but it sounds like God hasn't done a thing for him since 1972. <laughs> and we laugh at that, but that's tragic because not only do I think we've lost our way with testimonies, but we, re, we focus our testimony on something so far removed that it doesn't actually affect the way we live today. And when we hold fast, it's to hold fast to the assurance of our hope. And as a Christ follower, 
we come and when we stand before God, we know that if we were to die today, we would go to heaven. And it's not because of our denomination, and it's not because of our good deeds, and it's not because we prayed a prayer. It's all because of Jesus Christ. And when you and I stand before God, and God were to say, why should I let you into heaven? A cross follower, a Christ follower says, you shouldn't let me in. Because I'm a sinner, and I owe a debt I can't pay. And, but a Christ follower doesn't stop there because he says, Yet, because of your great promises and your love and mercy, I have depended on the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is my substitute. He paid for my sin. He satisfied your holiness and righteousness, and He removed all of your wrath from me. And as Alistair Beggs once said, When I get in heaven, if God says, Why should you be here? I'm going to go because the guy on the middle cross said I could. Amen? That's our calling. So we draw near, we hold fast, and then we are to consider one another. Draw near means you come to Christ. Hold fast means you cling to Christ and you're right with God. But the church is made of a people who are not only right with God, but right with each other. So we encourage each other. And we tell each other, don't do this, it will hurt you. Do this because it's better. And that's why he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. And guys, that is so much more than just show up at church on Sunday. Do you remember that old kid song? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You know that one? Some of you, shake your head. Somebody talk to me. Somebody talk to me, all right? There you go. Stop your, all right? Why don't we change it to, if you're saved and you know it, let's get together. Why does the world have to own the song, get together? Dude, that's for you, Matt Leahy. <laughs> Listen to me, friends. Except in the rarest of times, true Christ followers build their lives into the lives of other believers as we do it in a local church. As we gather to worship God and exercise love and good deeds towards one another, we demonstrate in real life the fact that God has saved us to Himself and to one another. We demonstrate to the world that we've been changed, not primarily because we memorize Bible verses or pray before meals or tie the portion of our income and listen to Christian music, but because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with, forgive, and even love a bunch of fellow sinners. That's what this passage means. And that's why you and I need to realize that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when we're so often wondering, what's my spiritual gift? Have you ever thought about the fact that you've been given a spiritual gift so that my sin gives you a chance to exercise your gift? Your sin gives me a chance to exercise my gift. There are no lone rangers in God's church. You can't be a Christ follower and not love, long for, and need to belong to the church. And membership is simply not reading a book and signing on the dotted line. The church is a group of saved people who are saved by God alone, who have believed in and understand the gospel. And for the record, the gospel is the fact that God is our holy creator and our righteous judge. Every man in St. John's, every woman in St. John's, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And quite frankly, we are all going to die, and the truth is, we all deserve to. Every single person is spiritually separated from God. But that's why Ephesians 50, or sorry, Psalm 51.5 and Ephesians 2 tells us we need God to impart spiritual life to us. But here's the greatest news of all. God did. God in love sent His Son Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to die the death we deserve and raised Him up for our justification. If you want to be perfect, then you've got to have Christ's perfect righteousness. And so, Calvary, thus begins the journey. What is the church? The church is God created. The church is made up of people who are saved. And the church is a group of people who are right with God and right for, with each other. So on this last Sunday of May 2022, I ask every one of you here this morning, are you saved? Do you actually know Christ? Are you committed to God and His Word, to obeying it and trusting in it? Because there are only two types of people in the world. Those who hear God's word and obey it, and those who hear God's word and don't. Jesus loves you. 
But you and I are sinners and we need His love. You can't get to heaven without the blood of Jesus to wash your sins away. And the proper reaction is that of confession and repentance because that is amazing grace. So we're out of debt as a church. In a few minutes we're going to have pizza and I'm going to talk about maybe going in debt as a church. We're looking at buying buildings and building buildings. We want to plant churches and see all ages of our city reach with the love of Jesus Christ. Okay, great. But then now what? And Calvary, listen. We're not getting near the end. We didn't just finish. We've just started. So we need to put on the armor of God. We need to take up our Bibles and read it and trust it and put it into practice because He is worthy. Many of you might have noticed when I give you cards or I send you emails, I always sign off with the same two verses. Psalm chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. I don't know how many of you have actually ever read it. Because this is what I want for everybody I ever talk to and write a card to, a thank you note, an email, a text. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And God, spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him or her with favor as with a shield. That is my prayer for every one of you. It's my prayer for this church. It's my prayer for Kilbride. It's my prayer for downtown and for Northern Cross and Shea Heights and Paradise and Portugal Cove and Torbay and and Cowan Heights and Kenmount Terrace and Southlands and all other places, which may even include now Thorburn Road and Larkyle all the way down to the hospital, which, by the way, don't lose the irony that maybe God is putting us here and a kilometer that way is our mental hospital being built. Wouldn't it be amazing if this church could be a lighthouse that God actually heals those who are mentally ill? Because guess what? Every one of us is. And it's only been His gospel that has changed us. So are you saved? Are we going to be the church? The decision and the calling is now ours. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that my friends and my family, both biological and spiritual, Lord, every man and woman in this room knows that their pastor, their lead elder, is far from perfect. Lord, sometimes the greatest amazement to me is that you would even choose to use me. And yet, that's what makes you so amazing. That's why I love you so much. And it's what I want for my family, my children and my grandchildren, for my wife. It's what I want for every brother and sister of Christ in this church. It's what I want this city of St. John's to know. That money doesn't need to own you. Your sexual identity doesn't have to own you. Your past and hurts and betrayals don't need to own you. Your pride doesn't have to lead you. Your possessions don't have to worry you. Your health doesn't have to scare you because, God, you know us and you love us. But, oh God, would you revive Calvary and her ministries? And in so doing, would you move in this city and province? Lord, help us to be the church, Christ followers. In Jesus' name, amen.